following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I've told you uh, a, a number of times that before I went into ministry, I was a, a cross-country and track coach. I coached at uh, a couple of different colleges, and, uh, and I loved coaching. Uh, I've mentioned before some of the things I didn't like about it, but overall, I, I really enjoyed what I got to do as a coach. Um, but there came a point where I felt very strongly that God was calling me into ministry and calling me to go into more full-time ministry. And that created a, a, a couple months of tension in my life where, where God and I really wrestled with that um, because my dad used to ask me, like even when I was living in, in Nashville and playing music, he's like, hey, would you ever think about taking a job as a worship leader at a church or something? I'm like, no, I'm not doing ministry. That's not, that's not me, All right? God called you that great. He calls lots of people, not me. That's not what I'm gonna do. But God started calling me to this and, and, and really making it clear that this is what I was supposed to do. And we, we wrestled with that for a while before I gave in, <laughs> before I kind of said, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. <sighs> okay. Right, but I had, to, I had to come to that place where I was ready to accept that, where I was ready to make that choice. Am I going to follow what God was calling me to, or was I going to keep doing what was easiest for me, what, what felt most comfortable to me, where I was already at? Right? I had to make a choice. I had to decide. And, and, and we've all been through those times in our lives where we've had to make a, a, a choice, right? Maybe it's a, a career change, a relocation. Maybe it's a relationship that we're, we're dealing with. Maybe it's just getting together with a group of friends and trying to decide when on the calendar it's going to work for all of you to get together. We have to make these choices. And, and what happens is oftentimes, especially in the bigger choices, is we're faced with these moments where we have to say, what is next? And often that decision will impact not just the next season of our lives, but, but has an impact, has a, a, a force on the entire rest of our lives, who we will be, what we will do, where we will go, how we will handle the situations in front of us. And I bring this up because I think if we took a poll, which wouldn't take us long this morning, if we took a poll in this room, I think we would all say we would like 2022 to be the best year of our lives, right? What, uh, who, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't think that's a great idea? We all want this next year to be the best year of our lives. But if that's going to be the case, if that's going to be the case, then we have to decide today what the foundation of the year will be. And this is not the point of the message because you can guess what I'm going to say the foundation of our year must be. It must be faith. Right? It must be our faith in Jesus Christ. But taking it a step further, we say for this year to be better, to be the best year of our lives, we must face down some decisions that will dramatically alter the meaning, the value, and the focus of our faith in the year to come. So what are the questions of our faith that must be answered if 2022 is going to be the best year of our lives? I'm glad you asked. Let me, give you, let me give them to you. Three questions for us as individuals and as a church that we must answer. First, we must decide whether our faith will be a matter of convenience or commitment. 
We must decide if our faith is going to be a matter of convenience or commitment. Because here's the deal. We are all people of convenience. Right? Whether we would like to admit that, whether we even believe that about ourselves or not, we are all people of, com- uh, of convenience. Let me show you how this works in my life. I love Amazon. I love Amazon. We can talk about business, th- business ethics and environmental ramifications and business model stuff. Uh, that's a whole separate conversation. But I love the fact that when I need light bulbs, I don't have to run to the Quad Cities to get them. I can jump on my phone, point, click. Two days later, maybe the next day, I have what I need in front of me. I love that convenience. That's so much easier. And and the fact is, all of us would lean towards convenience when given the option. And yet, we also know that Jesus tells us that the life of faith is not a life of convenience. Right? If you've walked with the Lord for more than about 10 minutes, you understand this. But Jesus tells us life of faith is not one of convenience, but it's one of a commitment that carries us through the inconveniences of faith in a broken world. Let me show you. Just let me give you a couple examples of, of how this, this looks. In Luke 9, verse 23, right, a passage you, you may know well, it says, then, right, and this is Jesus has just, if we looked at the few verses before this, Jesus has told his disciples, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified and put to death, but I'm going to rise on the third day. Okay, so Jesus has told the guys what's coming. It says then, after telling them he would die and rise, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Right, Remember, we can take that out of context and go, well, Jesus says, take up your cross. Well, it means, you know, maybe read your Bible even though you don't want to. No, no, no. Jesus has just told him, I'm going to be crucified on a cross to die. Now he says, now you take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, this is not going to be a convenient journey for you. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be painful. But are you committed or are you not? In Hebrews 2 Verse 18, the author of Hebrews says, For since he himself, he himself is Jesus, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Who's those who are tempted? All of us who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says, You will be tempted. You will go through trials. You will go through struggles. It will not be easy. It will not be simple. It will not be convenient. But Jesus has already been through everything you think is, is unfaceable and he's taking care of it. He says, it's not going to be convenient for you. Later in Hebrews chapter 12, second half of verse 1 through verse 2 says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Stop for a second. When it says, let us run with endurance the race before us, you know what that means? It means it's going to be hard. You don't need endurance for something that's simple. Right? If I race Chase to the, to the back of this room, I don't need endurance for that. You might need some strength, you might need some speed, whatever. But you don't need endurance for, to get from here to the back of the room. But we decide we're going to go out and run a marathon, 26 miles, you need some endurance. The author of Hebrews says you need endurance because the, 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 the race is not short, it's not simple, it's going to require a lot of you. Let's just run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, 
for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross. He endured. See, brings that word back. Jesus' time on the cross was not simple, convenient, easy. He endured the pain and the suffering. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if we're to follow, if we're to pick up our cross daily and follow him, we need endurance because it's not easy. It's not convenient. James 1, verse 2 through 4, one of my favorites. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Not if you experience trials. When you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Endurance. The trials are not convenient. They're not simple. They are hard. They require endurance. But endurance must have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. We all want to get to the end of that verse, don't we? Right? We want to get to the point to where we're mature and complete, lacking in nothing. But the trials that need endurance, can we skip over that? Maybe it's just me. You guys are better people than me. I get it. Right? But I would love to skip that. But it doesn't give us that option. Jesus says this is not going to be a, a, a convenient, simple life. If, you're, if you've already turned to Psalm 37, let's look at, at um, actually I want, to read verses, I want to read verses 1 through 6, but we're going, to, we're going to focus in on verses 5 and 6. It says, do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like the grass. They wilt, um, they wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Hold on. Verse 3 and 4 sounds great, doesn't it? Right? Just trust in the Lord. Everything is going to be good, right? He's, he's going to take care of you. He's going to give you your heart's desires. Awesome. Um, but David goes on in verse 5 and 6. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. He doesn't say, just trust, because this is a really easy thing. Say, oh, I trust in the Lord. Yeah, I trust in the Lord, so give me everything I want. He says, no, 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 you must commit your way. You must commit your way to the Lord. David says, commit your ways, trust God, and he will deliver you. David knows that this commitment is not an easy thing. If you study through the life of David and you see what he goes through, with his children, with Saul, with his enemies. You go study the life of David. You see, it is not an easy, convenient life. But he says you must remain committed to the Lord, even when it is inconvenient. He knows God's might, God's authority, God's goodness, and God's faithfulness. So David says, so knowing that you respond with commitment to God's word, God's truth, God's calling, God's nature. It's not about convenience. It's about that commitment. <clears throat> I think I've told you before that Erin, uh, she's the healthy one in our family in terms of what we eat and uh, the, the stuff that she puts in our food, which uh, I don't know. But she has this thing where she, she always wants me to take these probiotic pills. And pro- probiotic pills are, are good for like, gut health and stuff like that. And here's the thing about those. I have nothing against them. I think they're really good. 
They work really well. And if we're eating dinner and Aaron takes that probiotic pill and sets it by my plate, I'll take it. And, and I don't have a problem with it. I'm like, oh, this is good for me, okay. But if Aaron's not around and I'm making dinner and I have to even take two steps to the cabinet and get that bottle down and get the probiotic pill out, I'm not taking it. It's, it's just not going to happen. Why? Because I'm just not committed to it. If it's convenient, sure, but I'm not committed to it. And so I'll never see the full benefits of that probiotic. Listen, if we want to see this year be the best year of our lives, if we want the most out of 2022, we must be resiliently committed in our faith. Okay, now here, here's where I'm going to get hard on us this morning, okay? What does this mean to be resiliently committed in our faith? Parents, let's talk for a second. If gathering for worship is something we do when we don't have a better option for the day, let's not be surprised when our kids don't see faith as an important part of their lives. And I realize the irony of me saying that this week when, when, when weather has kept so many of our church family away, right? There, I, I'm not saying if you don't show up for church every week, you're failing, right? That's not the point. But the question is, is our faith something that is important or do we tell our kids it's something that's important? Because it's really easy as a parent to go, hey, kids, trust Jesus. He's the best, right? Now, I'm going to send you off to discovery groups and I'm going to send you to Ignite Club and I'm going to wash my hands for the rest of the week, right? But the question is, do my kids see faith as an integral part of my life? Do they see how important it is to me? Do they see me reading God's word? Do they know that I'm meeting with people to talk about Jesus? Do they know all the things that go into my faith that is not just a, well, I go to church and I sing some songs and then I go home and the rest of the week is pretty much the same. Right? Parents, if we want our kids to grow in their faith, if we want to see them, which let's be honest, as parents, is there anything that makes this year better than seeing our kids grow and mature in their faith? But if we want to see that, we must be those who model what faith is and what that looks like in our lives and show the importance and the vitality of that in every aspect of our lives. Let's talk about this in terms of, of jobs. Well, when you think about your job, your work, what you do, do you see that simply as a way to pick up a paycheck? Is that something we do because we have to? Or are we on mission for God's glory through the places where he has put us? See, our work, and, and I don't care what that work is. I don't care if you, uh, if you work on a farm, if you work in a factory, if you work in a corporate office, if you're a stay-at-home parent or grandparent. Whatever your work is, it's never meant to be an end in and of itself. It's meant to be an opportunity to live on mission for God's kingdom in a place where he has sent you. So do we see things like our work and the opportunities God puts in front of us as just a way to collect a paycheck, or is it purposeful? Are we committed to God's kingdom work in that place? Okay, so we've talked about parents, we've talked about jobs. Retired folks, let's talk to you for a second. Let me ask you this question. 
If you're retired and you look around, you're like, well, I don't have a job and I don't have kids around. Are you willing to faithfully step into discomfort with your freed time? Are you willing to faithfully step into discomfort? Pastor Ron preaches this all, this all the time, and I love that he does this all the time. But he's constantly reminding us that there is no retirement in the faith. Retirement is something from your, your job in this life, in this world, but it's not something for the faith. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, whatever your personality, whatever your gifts and abilities, whatever you think your gifts and abilities are not, wherever you are, God has given you opportunities to live on mission. But we can't be sitting back and just saying, well, I've done my part. Are we willing to step into discomfort? All of this comes back to this. How will we commit ourselves beyond convenience to the work of God's kingdom in the coming year? This commitment over convenience in our faith is the cornerstone then for the next two questions that we're going to answer. Number two, is our faith about festival or family? Is our faith about festival or family? Right, a festival is a party. Festival's a party. Parties are great things. But generally, you have very little invested in a party. Right, you go because you think it will be fun, because you'll have a good time, because there's friends or family there. But when it's over, you'll go back home and you'll go back to life as usual. You, you, you don't have a great investment. Family, on the other hand, is not a choice. I mean, sure, we, we, we get to choose how much we invest in family. We get to choose uh, maybe how we're going to interact with them. But for better or worse, your family is your family. And they have shaped and molded you in ways you, you have seen in your life and sometimes in ways that you would never believe could have happened. For the good, for the bad, and for the ugly. But your family is inexorably a part of who you are and what you do. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, Paul writes this, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit, that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. All right, if we call upon the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are adopted into the family of God. We are not outsiders to God's kingdom. We are not hangers on. We are children and therefore rightful heirs to the kingdom of the most high God. What this means for us is that if we are adopted into the family of God and we understand that family life is an inexorable part of who we are, then living in community with God's family is not optional. It's a vital part of our family-focused life. 
There's a, an analogy I use for this, and you've heard me use it often, but here's a rule. Uh, a pastor taught me this a long time ago. He said, you can use illustrations over and over again, but you have to leave six months in between when you use them. And I looked back this week, and the last time I used this illustration was in March. So I'm well beyond the sixth month. Right, but we want to know how important living the family life is to our faith. We got this analogy of a, a deck. Right? If, if you had, had, had bought a bunch of decking boards, you were going to build a deck on the back of your house. And in October, you bought all the lumber, but you just didn't get around to it. So it's stacked up in the backyard now. And now it's snowed, it's rained, it's gotten cold and then really warm again, and now it's gotten freezing, and it's going to do that a few more times before the spring. When you go out in the spring to build that deck, you're going to pull up those boards, and you're going to look at them, and they're going to be warped. I mean, they're going to be all over the place. And they won't work for your deck. Now, if you had bought those boards in October, and you built the deck, and you screwed all of these decking boards into the foundational frame of this deck. You're going to go through the same weather, same ups, same downs, same rain, same snow, same everything. But in the spring, you're going to go out on that deck, and how are those boards going to be? They're going to be straight. They're going to have held their place. Now, they're going to have some, they're going to shrink a little bit. They're going to crack a little bit. They're going to show some wear, sure. But they're going to hold together. Why? It's not because it's a different board. It's because the board is secured to a foundation and it's held together by the other boards around it. It is supported. You and I will never grow in our faith if we fail to invest in the life of the church and the lives of our church family. Every time I, I use this analogy, I say, you will meet people who are like, well, I don't need church I got Jesus. And I'm like, I don't think you know Jesus. You certainly haven't read what Jesus teaches, if, 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 that's, your, if, if that's your understanding. Because we are not called to live this life alone. We we're never created to be isolated, to be alone, to make it on, by ourselves and just say, well, I've got Jesus, so I don't need anybody else. Like, you show me that person, I'll show you somebody with some really warped theology not just in the life of the church, but in every other aspect of their faith. Because they have no support. They're not held together. They're not held in place. If we want to grow and mature in our faith, if we want to see this coming year be the best year possible in our lives and in the life of this church, in the life of our church family, then we have to see our faith as a matter of family not just a festival, a party on Sunday morning that we come to and leave and go back to like nothing changes. So how do we do that? How do we see family instead of festival? There are millions of ways you could do this. Okay, but just think about how you can invest time and energy in people around you. Right? Maybe it means you're, you're inviting some people over for dinner and just having a dinner with, with some people. Maybe it, it, it might mean finding someone you respect, somebody you want to learn from, and asking them out to, for a cup of coffee. Hey, can I pick your brain about this? Can we talk about this? Can you tell me more about this? 
Maybe it means you need to get involved and serve alongside other people in, in KFC or Ignite Club or Ignite Worship. Maybe it means finding a couple people and picking a time in the week to read through Scripture together. Maybe it means spending some time getting to know and supporting some of our middle school and high school students. Just find a couple of them and say, hey, let, let, let us buy you dinner. Let me buy you lunch, right? Let me come watch you play your sport or do whatever activity it is that you're involved in. Setting a text, hey, great job. Like, I don't know what this is going to look like for you in your life, but the question is, is your faith a matter of family or just a festival that you show up to and leave? This is all about a commitment to build relationships, to listen closely to others, and to invest in our church family. So how will we seek the good of our spiritual family in the coming year? And this is crucial to you, you feeling like your spiritual growth is going to happen in the coming year. If you want your spiritual needs met, meet the needs of other people. Right? If we as a church were doing that, again, if I, if I said, hey, I, I just feel like my spiritual needs aren't getting met, but I'm going to meet the needs of five people. And those five people said, well, I'm going to meet the needs of five people. And those five people said, well, I'm going to meet the needs of five. And these five people said, well, I'm going to invest in these five people, right? If we're all doing that, guess whose needs get met? Yours. But it's a matter of are we willing to invest in family over festival? Let's take one more question here. As we look at 2022, we ask ourselves, will we engage in our faith as a fan or a disciple? As a fan or a disciple? And we come to faith as a matter of, of commitment over convenience, seeking family instead of a, a festival. But then we have to ask, are we a fan or a disciple? Right? A fan is somebody who likes something. I'm a, a huge Chicago Cubs fan. I love watching the Cubs. I get excited when they lose, and Aaron will tell you I get really upset when they, when they lose. I get excited when they win. Aaron will tell you I get frustrated when, I lose, when they lose. But honestly, my fandom doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't require anything of me. It doesn't really change my life. Like if... All of, all of baseball and all the baseball teams went away and there was no more Chicago Cubs, it wouldn't really change anything about me. But a disciple, a disciple is something else. A disciple is something greater. A disciple is one who is invested, who gives up their life to follow a cause, whose entire life is altered by that which they believe to be true. Listen to what Jesus says about being a disciple. In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 25, he says, Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And in the next few verses, he says, Look, none of you would build a tower without thinking about how much it costs. Right? None of us would like, 
tear down a wall of our house and start building an, another a room addition without going, okay, how much is that going to cost? How much do I have? You might do it, but you'd only do it once. But Jesus says, listen, you wouldn't build without considering the cost. And he says, no king would go to war without knowing without doing the, the math on, well, how big is that army? How big is my army? Can we do this? Can we, are we going to win? Are we going to lose? What do we do here? He says there would be some calculation involved there. And Jesus says, listen, if you don't hate your brother, sister, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, even your own life, you can't come after me. He says, now consider the cost. Because in verse 33, he says, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. He says, count the cost. He says, true discipleship is costly, and it always will be costly to us. Now, before we look at that verse and go, okay, I want to follow Jesus, so I have to hate everybody in my family. That's that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, like, now just start sending nasty emails to every, every family member, and right now start texting, I don't like you, I hate you, leave me alone. I love Jesus, and so I hate you. Right? That's not what we're doing. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, what's most important to you? Right? Do you put your family above me? If so, you can't be my disciple because you haven't counted the cost. Right? What's more valuable to you? Is it Jesus or is it your job? What's more valuable to you? Is it Jesus or the opportunity for your kid in a travel sports league? What's more important to you, Jesus or your retirement account? All those are easy, right? We go, Jesus, duh. But let's get into the hard stuff. What's more important to you, Jesus or your spouse? If your answer is your spouse, you're not a disciple, you're a fan. What's more important to you, Jesus or your kids and grandkids? If your answer is your kids and your grandkids, you're not a disciple, you're a fan. Jesus is everything. And if that sounds harsh to you, realize this. You will never fully love your children or your spouse or anyone in your life in a way that is as meaningful as it can be unless you love Jesus first. Any other way you try to put that, like, well, yeah, it's, it's my spouse and my kids, then Jesus. You're failing your spouse and your kids because you cannot give them a love that is true enough. The question is, are you willing to give up everything for Jesus? There's a great book that came out about 10 years ago. It's called Not a Fan by a pastor named Kyle Eidelman. Um, And he says this. He says, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Man, if that doesn't like kick you in the gut a little bit, I don't think you're really examining your life. I've read this book a couple times. I've, I've seen like this quote a few times, and every time I read it, I'm like, okay, okay. Am I just trying to get close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, or am I willing to pay the cost? Am I considering that Jesus is everything? Right? We have a choice before us. Every single one of us has a choice before us in 2022. Is it fandom or discipleship? 
If we want to know the joy, the hope, the peace, the fulfillment, and the satisfaction that God intends for us to know in the year ahead, we must be prepared to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Again, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you in the year ahead? I I don't know. Because we could do a year's worth of sermons on what exactly that means. But let me simplify it with giving you three more questions. Right? And, and I'll give you the shorthand. If you're taking notes, I'll give you the shorthand first. Okay? The, the shorthand is, number one, why? Number two, by whose authority? And number three, to whose glory? But three questions we have to consider. Are we disciples or are we fans? And how do we move to discipleship? And that first question is, why are we doing what we're doing? Right? What's the purpose? Is there purpose? Or is it just something we do because, well, it's time to do that thing? Are we looking for reason, for purpose, for mission in everything we do? Number two, by whose authority are we doing what we're doing? Is it because this is what I want? Because this is what I think is best? Because this is the way that I think things should go? Or do I come back and I spend time in prayer? I spend time before the Lord. I spend time in his word. I spend time talking to trusted advisors and saying, man, where where is God leading in this? And even when I don't like it, I'm willing to do it. Because if I'm doing things by my authority, I'm only doing stuff I like. Number three, to whose glory does our success point? To whose glory? Is this about me? Is this about trying to get other people to see me a certain way? Is this about trying to be somebody, like, everybody should see how, how smart I am, how good I am, how great I am at this. Everybody should know that. And so I'm going I'm to work really hard so that people know how good I am. All right, or is it, God, what, what do you want to do here? With an honest assessment, are we fans or are we disciples? And what in our lives offers the evidence that our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength are surrendered to Jesus Christ above everything else. Every year, at least every year since I've been here, we offer the reminder that there is nothing particularly special or magical about the start of a new year. Right, the calendar changes from 21, 2021 to 2022. Nothing really changes. Nothing fundamentally changes on New Year's Day. But we also remember that it's a, it's a good starting point. It's a good reminder in our lives for the need to, to change, to be molded, to be shaped into who God wants us to be. Now, many take this opportunity, this kind of refresh, this kind of restart to to make New Year's resolutions in order to see a greater joy and a greater satisfaction in the year ahead, right? That might be new diets, exercise plans, reading goals, uh, career paths, recreational hopes, family dedications and commitments, any any kind of thing. And, And these are very beneficial in many different ways. Right? I'm not saying don't make any New Year's resolutions or don't try to, to improve yourself in the coming year. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. There, there can be great benefits there. But without Jesus Christ at the center of everything, you can accomplish every goal, every plan, 
You can make every change and your life will still be missing something. Accomplish everything you have in mind in the year ahead without Jesus Christ at the center and I guarantee you end 2022 in exactly the same place that you ended 2021. Going, well, yeah, that was good, but it didn't do what I thought it would do. It didn't get us where I thought it would get us. Why? Because we're still missing the most important point of Jesus at the center, and we end 2022 with just kind of a same old, same old. Because we still miss the richness and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus at the center, we cannot understand how he lived perfectly, how he died sacrificially, how he rose victoriously, and how he and he alone delivers us completely. God loves you. Christ died for you. And the Holy Spirit wants to move in you and through you and guide you to the best year of your life this coming year. It doesn't mean you're going to see an incredible increase of wealth and new cars, and new houses, or any of that stuff. But it means you will know the joy, and the hope, and the fulfillment that comes only through Jesus Christ, and only through a full and complete commitment to who he is. Church family, may that be the cornerstone for our new year. Whatever else we do, may we joyously and victoriously celebrate the love of Jesus Christ in our lives and share that love with the world around us, a world that is searching and still trying to fill a void with all the other stuff they're going to change in the year to come. Let's show the world the beauty and the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the year gone by with all the trials, struggles, things that we may even wish were different. And yet, Father, you gave us a year. You gave us a time to know you and love you and serve you. And so for that, we thank you. And as we take this first Sunday of the year and we look ahead and we say, okay, Lord, we want to make this the best year ever. Maybe we'd be reminded of what that takes. It doesn't take a special ability on our part. It doesn't take a unique gifting that only some of us have. It takes that willingness to serve Jesus Christ above all else and allow the rest of our lives to rotate around that center. And that is incredibly countercultural. It looks crazy to the world around us, but that's okay. We know that your goodness and your faithfulness are unfailing. So Lord, we come to you and we pray that you would do what only you can do and that we would simply be your children, your disciples, be your church, ready to take the truth and the beauty of who you are to the world around us. Lord, give us the strength, give us the endurance to carry out your calling, your mission in the year ahead. Lord, we love you, we thank you. In your great and awesome name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.